Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Herb Tell. Ah, uh, Herb Tell, the first one of 2022. Thrilled y'all are with us. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's January the 3rd. It's a Monday. And we're going to go headlong into the year of our Lord 2022. But we're going to do it in hope. It's not going to be all bad news and doom and gloom. We, there's plenty of things to be happy about. Plenty of things to be excited about as we go forward. Uh, thrilled to have you with you. I'm Andrew Donaldson. If you're new to the program, glad to have you with us. You can watch us on YouTube. You can listen on all the podcasting platforms. Make sure to subscribe. It's free. Only costs you a click, and we're glad to have you. Going to talk a little Betty White today. Uh, Jenny Coulter, our election expert, is going to be with us. Somebody I love talking to because she doesn't just write about elections, places like Washington Post, elections daily. She's a poll worker. She's passionate about this stuff. She's in the polls. She knows the machinations of how it actually works. People talking about grainy video on elections and things like that. She can tell you how those systems work. And we're going to talk about uh, 2022, which is going to be dominated by the midterm elections. And we're going to review some of the election news in 2021. We talked a lot about elections for a year that we didn't have any national elections. So, Jenny Culture, a little bit later in the program. Uh, let's start right here, though. I don't do New Year's resolutions uh, for a lot of reasons. One is uh, I don't like adding my own name to the list of people I've disappointed <laughs> and various other things, but I just don't do New Year's resolutions. It's fine if you do that. That's fine. I do want to encourage you, though, what is your year going to be as far as culture and politics and media, which is what we discuss on Her Tell. I want to challenge you to make this year, the year 2022, the year of not using avatars. Now, what do I mean by that? We have a raft of people in social media right now and in the news media as well, that all they do is avatar. You know, avatars are everything. I'm not talking about that crummy James Cameron movie necessarily. I'm talking about, you know, your, your picture on your social media. They call that your avatar. That's what you're presenting to everybody else. You can make it anything you want. People are doing that with their politics right now. They're just grabbing an avatar and putting that out there. Uh, the fun thing about avatars is they can be anything we want them to be. They don't have to be real. They can be partially real. They can be completely real. It's completely up to you. But what avataring does when you're talking about culture and politics is it makes you a third-person participant in something as far as representative democracy in America goes that demands first-person attention. The thing about avatars is it gets rid of your culpability and your accountability. When you take an avatar or you take a talking head on TV or a famous commentator or a politician or an elected official, 
and you wrap your political identity around them, at least your public persona, public political identity around that person, it does a couple of things. One is it automatically gives you an in-group, but two is it automatically takes all the accountability away from you because if they fail or they do something wrong, at the end of the day, no matter how hard you advocated for them, you can just blame them. You can say, well, that was their fault. The next person will do better. The problem is there's no principles involved in that. The thing about representative democracy, especially in the American system, is it doesn't do very well as a spectator sport. And yet our news media and our political industry, and by political industry, I'm talking about the fundraising, the money machines, the parts of this that are just a full-time job for everybody involved, not ideologies and principles. The political machine and the news media machine in America is designed for spectating right now because it keeps engagement going, keeps the money flowing, keeps the views coming, the clicks coming, the reads coming, keeps you sharing and arguing on social media about it. And it feeds into this avatar mentality where you're involved, you feel like you're doing something, you get the emotional high, but it's really just third third person perspective and participation is very, very limited. It's a spectator sport. It's like sitting in a stadium and watching a football game or a baseball game or whatever. You're not actually getting dirty, but you're getting your endorphins up and you're getting all excited and get a yell and scream, but then you get to turn around and go home. You don't have to deal with the injuries and the exertions that the players did. One reason we talk to folks like Jenny Coulter, like we're going to do today, is because she not only writes and advocates, but she does it. Municipal elections, you know, those elections that very few people go to, about 20% of the country turn out for in some places, which is abominable and an embarrassment. She's in there. She'll talk about working a poll place in her place in Florida for 12 hours a day, and you'll just have a few dozen people come in. Those are the people that actually make democracy in America work, our representative democracy function. And those are the people who need our attention. And instead of avataring, why don't you try to be one of those people? Actually get involved, do some poll working, do some volunteerism, do some local accountability in politics like your school board meetings and your county commission meetings, and not just show up just because of COVID or just because of CRT or some other debate and show up and yell and never go back again, but stay involved. One of the things about that process that kind of irritated me a little bit was people would go to their school board meetings, which we have advocated for. That's a good thing. But when they got there, they were shocked and shaken that every member of the school board didn't think like they were. Well, you just answered your own question. If you've never been there before and you never paid attention before, then you don't have an advocate that you put on that board because you didn't pay any attention. Do you see how you just made your own problem? You have to be involved all the time. Avataring leaves you into really bad places because you'll always end up being surprised at what's really going on because you're living in a fantasy world through your avatar. Having personal accountability makes things harder. It makes you more susceptible to things. You're going to get your views challenged. You're going to get your feelings hurt. You're going to get pushback. You're going to find out that there's a lot of people that don't agree with you. People take Teddy Roosevelt's speech about the man in the arena, but they kind of miss the point a little bit. Yes, the man in the arena Uh, deserves praise because he's the one that's bloodied and exerting effort and fighting. But there's also some shame to the people that are spectating. Why aren't they in the arena? Why aren't they doing more? Is it one thing to cheer them on without actually getting involved in yourself? We have this avatarism in our politics and culture right now where we just latch onto a political figure or we just latch onto a media figure or somebody famous 
and we just go along with whatever they say because it's easier and it doesn't cost us anything. And if it all goes wrong, we can just blame them. That's not healthy. So in 2022, I would encourage you to do some accountability yourself and think, are you doing a bunch of avataring? Are you just smashing the send button on Facebook and Twitter or wherever else because somebody says something that you like and you don't do any critical thinking about it first? Do you just send it off because it was them or because the headline looked good? Are you reading just the headlines and not reading the articles? Are you reading the articles, but you're not opening your mind to what it's saying and you're just going in with preconceived notions? These are all very, very small things. They're all very small personal things. But imagine how much better our discourse would be if we all did a few little small things. And then imagine how much better our families and communities would be when we try to talk about culture and politics. And then shockingly, you may just wake up one day and realize that our states and our country and our world turned out a little bit better because we did a few little small things and quit listening to the avatars and started putting our real life selves into something that's really important. This, the American experiment, the greatest experiment in a free people self-governing cannot be a spectator sport. Every time it's a spectator sport, bad things happen. When people disengage from it, bad things happen. 2022 is going to be a lot of ugly in the cultural discourse and in the political world. But the way for us to steal ourselves is not to shy away from the ugly with false reality and just letting the avatars fight it out and then thinking we can go home after the ball game's over and whatever happened, happened. It's to be involved. It's to stay involved. If all the good people say it's too messy, I'm not going to deal with it. Who's that leave in the discourse? Who does that leave in our politics? We have the evidence right in front of us who that leaves because we've got them in power. Congress is full of them. Elected officials are legion that have been there because people didn't care enough to get somebody better. In 2022, we're going to have the America we deserve because in a representative democracy, we always get the America we deserve. It just may have lagged a while because we were too busy avataring and not paying attention to the real world. So this year, get good information, widen your information base, widen your perspective. That doesn't change your principles. It just gives you more information to filter and to make good decisions. Discerning our times is one of the most important things we can do because time is the most precious thing we have. We're all mortal. We all have a clock running on how long we're going to be here. And if we're going to leave an America and a better world behind us, we can't just avatar it to somebody else. We need to do it ourselves. So I'm not into New Year's resolutions, but maybe we could make a better commitment. Change the ratio of fools to suffered fools that you're dealing with. Spend time with good people of good faith. Reach out to those who are willing to listen. Listen to those who feel like they have something to say. And maybe we can start making this thing just a little bit better, even though it's going to be a highly contentious year. You can't control that, but you can control you. So why don't we all try to do a little bit better? More hotel right after this. Welcome back 
back to Herd Tell, uh, one thing we always want to do is we don't want to just hit stories and run from them. Uh, we always want to update you. So uh, remember, uh, a week or two ago, we had on our friend Zeke Webster, we talked about this truck driver case out in Colorado where he was sentenced to 110 years. There's been an update on it. And we want to bring that to you from the Denver Post. Colorado Governor Jared Paulus on Thursday reduced the sentence from 110 years to 10 years for the former truck driver convicted of causing a 2019 fatal crash that killed four people. Paulus called the sentence imposed on Rahel Aguilero Medeiros. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Quote, highly atypical and just in his Thursday letter announcing the commutation. Aguilero Medeiros, 26, will be eligible parole on December 30th, 2026. You were sentenced to 110 years in prison, effectively more than a life sentence for a tragic but unintentional act, Paulus wrote in the letter. While you are not blameless, your sentence is disproportionate compared to many other inmates in our criminal justice system who committed intentional, premeditated, or violent crimes. The decision comes after the 110-year sentence imposed two weeks ago drew national outrage, and more than 5 million people signed a petition calling on the governor to reduce the sentence. The outcry prompted first judiciary... District Attorney Alexis King, whose office prosecuted the case. Uh, side note, she is not the one that brought the charges. They are the original prosecutor had moved on, just to clarify that, but they didn't change it either until now. Back to the Denver Post, whose office prosecuted the case, requested the judge reconsider the sentence. First Judicial District Court Judge Bruce Jones granted the request and scheduled a January 13th hearing to reconsider the sentence, though that is now likely mute. Uh, a representative from the governor's office called Aguilera Madero's and one of his attorneys Thursday afternoon, Aguilera Madero's defense attorney, Jim Clogan, said the governor never would have intervened, had millions of people not voiced their outrage at the sentence. Colgan said justice was done, end quote from the Denver Post. I don't know if justice was done. Um, I know that this is better. Uh, I could not go as far as some folks who said he shouldn't have got any prison time and not. Uh, we hashed this out on the program. Uh, you can go on the YouTube channel or any of the podcasting platforms, look up the episode where Zeke Webster joined us, and we broke this down in quite a bit of detail. Also, our friend M. Carpenter at Ordinary-Times.com uh, delved into the fact that the prosecutors that brought this case actually kept one of the brake pads from the truck as a trophy in their office, which is horrendous and terrible. Uh, it was failed brakes on the truck that led to this accident. I cannot uh, let this individual completely off, uh, knowing what I do about the truck driving industry, about truck driving, what I've learned about the case from studying. He does have culpability, but it was greatly disproportionate to the sentence he got. I'm good with the 10 years. Uh, that means he's probably going to serve, you know, five to eight, somewhere in there. Uh, he's eligible parole in roughly four years, uh, and we hope he rehabilitates himself and has a life after this. Uh, I hope these prosecutors find a different line of work. Uh, as M and Zeke and myself and some others have pointed out with, there's no other reason to read this case, but these prosecutors got way out of hand. They punitively wanted to punish this man for not taking a plea deal. If you offer somebody a plea deal, that means you think they should not be getting the maximum charges. So you can't turn around and say, oh, well, he shouldn't took a plea for that. No, 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 no. That's hypocrisy. Um, these prosecutors, we've talked about it over and over again. We talk about it with Zeke. We've talked about it with him. We'll continue to talk about it. Prosecutors are the part of the legal system we have the most control over. Almost all of them are elected, or at least the heads of the offices are elected. And yet, as we talk about with Jenya Coulter on the program today, 
they they are some of the least attended elections. Municipal elections, local elections have just abysmal turnouts. But these people have amazing power over your life in a hurry. And we need to pay better attention. So I am glad this man's sentence is a little more just. I don't know if it's justice, but it seems a lot better than what it was. Uh, again, we don't want to take away from what he did. Four people died and our condolences to their families. Uh, there is no justice on earth for what happened to them. But this seems a lot more fair to everybody involved. Uh, and that's the update on that case. We don't ever want to do drive-by news here. We want to try to update you on stories after we do our hot takes on them. It's all part of how we turn down the news cycle noise and get to the issues at hand. So that's the follow-up on that. More Heard Tell right after this. to heard tell i'm andrew donaldson and jenya coulter who i have been practicing to make sure i say it right because i said it wrong the last time she was on the program so i'm sorry uh election babe the ballot fairy we call her many many things but we mostly call her friend how are you i'm doing well thanks um how are you doing today thrilled we get to start the new year with you and before we get into this year though the year of our lord 2022 uh for a non-national election year, and you're an election expert, boy, we talked a lot of elections in 2021, didn't we? It was nice to see so many people suddenly care about these relatively obscure local elections that normally, you know, kind of fall under, you know, fly under the radar. Of course, the level of contention involving some of these elections, I could have maybe done a little bit with a little bit less. Right. I it's nice to see people care. Yeah. And one thing I, I kind of got on too is people don't realize we talk about all these big court cases and we talk about the prosecutors in the like the Rittenhouse trial and the Ahmaud Aubrey trial where they went through three prosecutors. People forget most prosecutors, most DAs, those are municipal local elections. And those are some of our lowest turnout elections that we have. They want to show up for these trial things, but they forget that these are elected officials that they don't show up to vote for in a lot of cases or not pay very close attention to in a lot of cases. Yeah, um, if you ever want to stump people who think they care about politics, ask them who they voted for. If it's in a jurisdiction that does elected judges, ask them which judges they voted to retain or not retain. Most of them will not be able to tell you. It's always it's a really interesting litmus test. Why do you think that is? Because I know, you know, the old days, they used to print the sample ballot in the paper and you'd sit there and mark it through. Why, why is it that the local elections that affect us the most, because you're in these polling places, that's one reason we like to talk to you. You're not just the theory of it. You actually do the work of it. You show up at the polling places. You run polling places. Why is that? Because you talk to people that who are the people that show up for municipal elections? Is it a noticeable difference from a general election crowd? I, I suspect it probably is, especially on the local level. The people who show up for the local elections are the kind of people who show up for every election. Um, no, and usually they tend to skew a little bit older. Um, my polling place was in a senior, uh, was a senior citizens facility. So I had voters range in age from, you know, 18, like literally it was their 18th birthday, their first time voting. And I was so excited. I, you know, praised the heck out of his parents. You know, thank you so much for making your, you know, 
encouraging your son to vote, you know, so young. And then I've had a voter who was 104. 104. And she, she said that she'd never, ever since she was old enough to vote, she'd never missed an election. And I believe her. Wow. See, that's got to make you feel good, though. Those are those are the citizens that make the country go. They don't get enough credit, though, do they? But I want a documentary on that lady. She, I, I loved it. She said, my, she said, my relationship with democracy has outlasted my relationship with all four of my husbands. <laughs> that's a Florida woman right there. That's a legend living. Um, oh, she's so she's adorable too. She's like this really tiny lady, very carefully dressed. She always has her lipstick on, looking real pretty. I mean, I just adore her. Uh, I love people like that. Uh, let's let's dig into it. Uh, talking to Jenny Coulter, she is election babe on the twitter.com. She's written all over the place, everywhere from Washington Post. Uh, she's in elections daily, frequently. Our friends over there. She's long overdue to come back to ordinary times with me. I'll throw in the free plug in there. Um, what jumped out at you this year? Because we had a lot of elections that were contentious. We, of course, had the Georgia recall that was a mess. We had Virginia. We had all the redistricting. We had a lot of legal laws. What What are your real big takeaway for 2021? Which one jumps out at you right off the top? How many people suddenly care about redistricting? Because I can tell you 10 years ago, it wasn't like this. And it's been interesting to see so many people who in some cases might not have really been old enough to remember the last decennial redistricting, suddenly come up with these amazing proposals and maps and have the wherewithal to be able to argue the case for their map and do a really great job. And I mean, some of these people aren't, a lot of them aren't professionals. They're just, you know, people who discovered maps while on social media. And then you get to see some areas where the professionals did um, some of the, prof- you know, some of the professional mappers obviously drew some great maps. Others, well, I'm going to leave that to the experts. Is, is it just the social media and the technology? Is that the biggest difference? Or is it the partisanship right now where people all of a sudden realize like, hey, you know, everything's so divided. Every single one of these little votes counts. So they're paying more attention. What do you attribute that to? I think it's a little of both. Um, social media has turned elections from a necessary tour of democracy into a spectator sport. But it is nice to say, again, it's nice to hear, you know, people who are, aren't, aren't even old enough to drive in some cases actually make a convincing case for the map that they've just posted online. That's it's really nice to see. I'm proud of them. Yeah, I, I see. I think I know election Twitter folks, if, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's kind of a loose collection of folks that really get into the maps and the, the nitty gritty details of election. I, I think it's a positive sign, though, because, you know, with before the social media technology, I don't know that those people would be a group. I don't know that they would be, you know, it becomes a resource because they can kind of feed each, feed off each other. And then people like me that write and commentate for a living, I can talk to those guys. I can talk to the Drews. I can talk to you. I can, I can pull information from them. And now I have another resource besides just news media to get information about elections from. And a lot of these people are covering their state or their region or something that they're really specific and a specialist on. I think that's a very healthy thing. It's really nice to see. And one of the things that I also did learn this year is there are some mainstream media outlets that are far more biased than perhaps they want to admit publicly. And it's nice to have an ear to the ground to notice what people online who actually live in that area are saying and their views and what their needs are. Because there were, there, I think there were a significant number of missed calls. And I don't think it was malicious. I just think that 
maybe there was a bit more of an echo chamber in certain races than there were others. And there were some surprises. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about two of those surprises real quick. Uh, Jenny Coulter joining us. She is at election babe on the twitter.com. If you're not following her, you are missing out. Um, also a pretty good cook for our Twitter supper club, but we'll talk about grilling later. Uh, the, the two big events this year, uh, other than the hangover from the national election was Georgia and Virginia. Both of them surprised in opposite ways, though. Let's start with Georgia. That was, you know, to, to steal hot land as a moniker, that was just a big hot mess. What do you take away now that we got a little space from Georgia, especially considering that looking at 2022, I know I'm saying that that's the state I'm going to be paying attention to. That's that's going to be ground zero for a lot of it. But we've had about a year to think about it. What did Georgia teach you from the election angle on it? Georgia does not have to be a hot mess. Um, some of the policies the state has are, I think, inefficient and in some cases downright questionable. And I think if they cha- I think if they fine tune some of those processes, maybe things would be a little less of a free for all when during the counting process. I think the Republicans learned a valuable, if somewhat harsh lesson about don't discourage people from voting by mail, particularly when they're your voters. I, that, I mean, they literally shot themselves in the foot there. Um, the Dem- I think the Democrats did a much better job of pushing vote by mail. And because again, vote by mail was not exclusively a Democrat thing up until about, I'd say five or 10 years ago, more Republicans voted by mail simply because older folks tend to like vote by mail more than younger folks. So I think the Democrats did a really good job with the get out the vote process in um, Georgia. I just wish that there had been a tighter, a a more streamlined or tighter process so that there weren't a bazillion lawsuits later on. And so much of this, this is one thing I've learned from talking to you. So much of this stuff is they write legislation or they do these rules for elections that are just inapplicable, like they physically cannot enforce some of this, or they come up with a rule that you just cannot do it. You can't physically do it in the polling places. It makes no sense. And then you wind up with a mess because now the poll workers don't know what to do. The counters don't know what to do. And then from the outside, you get these conspiracy folks and they just see chaos. But a lot of this is just, they just didn't write it into the law very well, or they didn't think it through very well, did they? No, uh, people underestimate the power of logistics. And one of the things I think that Georgia is a unique case in that there's, I think, 159 counties and everything is, it's a top-down system. Basically, the Secretary of State creates all the policies and they get rocketed down to all the different counties. And sometimes there's some counties that it's not that they don't want to comply, it's that they don't have the resources to do so. And that's not fair to them. And then there are other counties that get all the resources and they still can't keep a tight ship on things. That to me, as far as I'm concerned, is a good argument for keeping elections more at the county level, especially if you have such a disparate size in counties. Yeah, we're talking to Jenny Coulter, uh, talking elections. She is the election babe, our election expert. Uh, And we're going to talk the other big elections in 2021. We're going to look ahead to 2022 with her expertise. We're going to talk about her love of grilling to finish off. So stay with us on Hard Tell. We'll be right back after this.
our favorites. Uh, Jenny Coulter, the election babe at the Twitter. Uh, the other big election this year that everybody uh, was paying attention to and a lot of people were surprised at, although you probably shouldn't have been if you were paying real close attention, was Virginia. Uh, I was told as late as this spring that Virginia was going to be blue in perpetuity, which is always a silly thing to say. But that's not what happened, was it? No, I think the Democrats learned a very valuable lesson as well. Do not insult your voters. That's I think that that's something that pundits can insult voters because they're pundits. That's their job. It gets them clicks. If you're running a field campaign, you kind of want to be you kind of want to talk to at least even if you don't like the people who will be voting, at least listen to them, because that's going to give you a better idea of what their concerns are. I mean, Virginia, voters in Virginia do not vote as a monolith. Um, I'm not the Virginia expert here. I'd talk to like Chaz Nuttycomb or Miles Coleman or any of the elections daily crew because they have a much better sense of what's going on there. But when the, uh, what was going on over the late summer in Virginia, I remember thinking, oh God, did they really just say that about the parents who will be voting in that election? Because parents are more likely to vote in some of the smaller elections or the more of the state, the state level elections. And you're not going to do all that well if you insult those folks. And something that you've always talked about and I appreciate it is, you know, because we, we do the maps and we do the social media and we do the in-depth. And I think we forget that every election, no matter what's going on, it always comes down to who the candidate is. And I think that was just one of the ones where people, you know, Terry McAuliffe, I don't care how you slice it. He just ran a bad campaign. And we forget sometimes all these environmental things. You know, you got to have a good candidate and you got to run a good campaign or the rest of it really doesn't matter. And he's not a bad candidate, actually. And I feel bad because his field, the people who were working field operations, they poured their heart and their soul into this election. A lot of them, I, you know, I read the tweets. I mean, I just wanted to give some of them a hug and a hot cup of cocoa. But there were certain things that there was clearly a disparity in between what the campaign was saying and what the voters were saying. And it came back to bite the campaign in the butt. Um, talk about that a little bit, too, because part of being an elections person is you, you follow how these field campaigns go. They're kind of unheralded, these workers. But there, there seems to be something going on in a lot of these campaigns where the candidates and the staffers that are available, some of them are really having a hard time connecting to their to their groups. We saw it with the Virginia thing where the candidate was out of step and the staffers are OK. We're seeing it with the president right now where, frankly, I think his staff is out of step with the country. It's kind of the opposite where he's more amiable and well-liked than maybe some of the stuff his staff's doing. What do you tell those people when they if they would come to you for advice like, look, I, we're in the world now where it's perpetual campaign all the time. That's not going to change. It's never going to go back the way it used to be. How do these staffers and these candidates keep uh, their ear to the ground and not come off so tone deaf, even with all the noise of the social media and the news media network, do you think? Remember that Twitter is not real life, but it's also if you're going to be if you're going to do a lot of your campaigning online, follow as many different people in that jurisdiction as you can because you never know who they're going to say, you know, I had a great experience with this person. You know, I'd really, it made me feel very positive about this candidate or 
you know, I wasn't treated well by them. And I, if the, if they represent the candidate, I don't want to vote for that candidate. It's really worth, you know, some people just need a good listen. You know, some people need a good talking to most voters need a good listening to. Well, as we kind of look into 2022, we know it's the midterms. We know it's going to be loud. We know we have um, some situations that have never really occurred before because we're going to, you know, the COVID stuff is still out there. We don't know what's going to go on that. We have, of course, the Donald Trump vendetta ride in places like Georgia and Arizona. We don't know how that's going to go. What do you think that folks should be listening to voters on? Is it going to be the economy? Is it going to be some of the social justice stuff? Is it going to be COVID? What do you think the voters really want to be listened to? I think schools are going to schools, education are definitely going to be a hot button issue. Inflation, if it keeps getting worse, inflation's definitely going to be there. I think climate and climate change are going to be issues, but maybe not quite in the way people think, because obviously climate change is happening. However, there's certain things that maybe the Green New Deal isn't 100% realistic about. And if you look at some of the energy crises going on in Europe, you can kind of get a sense of how that can, the best of intentions can go very, very wrong in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And I think when your prices are going up anyway, that's probably not the time to try new technologies. It's going to drive prices up. That's probably not going to go real well for you just on a practical level, whatever you, whatever the end goal you're pushing for is. Also have a backup. You never know when you're going to need it. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny Coulter, who we just adore talking election stuff. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about it nonstop. The 2022 midterm uh, turn down the noise on it for us, though. What are you looking at as we start going in the primary season in the spring? What do you look at it? Uh, beyond just the headlines and the candidate stuff? What do you look at when you look at these elections as to whether they're going well or if it's going to turn into like another Georgia recall situation? What's kind of the things you look at to try to give you a postmark of this is going well or this is getting ready to go sideways? Take a look at the new laws that are going to be in, going to, that go into effect on New Year's Day in many states. There have been quite a there's been quite a few pieces of election legislation that have gone through. Some of them, I think, in I mean, not every piece of election legislation is a bad thing. Sometimes it makes the process a lot more efficient. But there are going to be in some states there may be some limitations on things like locations of ballot drop boxes. Some places will expand them. Other places there won't be as many. There, there are probably going to be polling place changes for a lot of voters simply because we've had a few uh, natural disasters that took out some places that would have otherwise be used. So any state that doesn't have their processes in gear, they've got maybe two months to get to get things in order. And after that, may the magical ballot fairies be with them. We haven't had you for a little while, so uh, do your spiel on magical fairies for the folks that maybe have never heard it before. You're talking about the folks who have a lot of really soaring rhetoric about elections, but have no clue whatsoever how a polling place works, right? Yes, they're the ones that they're like, well, if we could just get rid of all, you know, all, all computers and elections, you know, all of our problems would be solved. And then I'm going to look at them and go, OK, where did your ballot come from? How did it get to you? The magical ballot fairies did not deliver it to you with a wave of magic wand and a proof of glitter. It got designed and laid out on a computer. It got printed out by a industrial scale printing press that runs on, that has an internet controlling system. It's, you know, your post, everything involving the postal service involves some sort of computer or barcode tracking. 
so you're not going to be able to get rid of technology in elections completely. It's, you know, there were plenty of problems in elections prior to the advance of, techn of uh, technological um, concerns. The conspiracy so, yeah, theory. There are no magical ballot fairies. No, there's not. And the flip side of that, of course, is the conspiracy theorists who think everything is a tough box full of ballots hiding in a trunk or under a table or whatever every time they see it. There's not a lot of that either, though, is there? I know we heard um, so much about the election stolen and these things and these. A lot of that, though, when you dug down and just turn the noise off, was people watching on video a process that they really didn't understand what was going on in the first place. That's true. I think there are some people who want to understand the process. One of the things that I that was kind of nice this year is I had a lot of people who identified as Republican or conservative asking me about elections and election integrity, and they genuinely wanted to know about the process, what the safeguards were, how the process could be made more secure. And that was actually really nice because, again, election security and election integrity, they're two sides, two halves of the same coin. And you can't really have one without, you should really not, you shouldn't have one without the other. So I think that's been nice, but then there's a lot of bad information out there. Of course, then there's on the other on the flip side, there are people who insist that, oh, this was the most perfect, wonderful, secure election and nothing bad happened. And then you get the news reports where something very bad did happen and it insults people's intelligence and they're not too fond of that. So if you want an election integrity, keep in mind, election integrity is as election integrity does. Same thing with security. Yeah. And like we've seen with COVID and a lot of other things, the, the important thing is to be consistent and to be fair and accurate in your information so you don't look silly later, because that really does open the door for people to think untoward things are going, doesn't it? And, and explain, I like to explain to people what I do. You know, some, some poll workers have like these huge problems with the folks who come in who are poll watchers. I didn't have any. And that was because if they had a question, I would very, I would very politely walk them through what we were doing and why we were doing it. And they seemed pretty much satisfied with that answer. And the vast majority of my poll watchers happened to be on the Republican side. So I was, I mean, the fact that I didn't have any issues with them at all, I think that's a testament to how well my staff ran things. Yeah. And speaking of other things that you run really well, uh, you are a member in good standing of the Twitter Supper Club. We'd love to have you, but you have an affinity for a particular cooking method. Uh, you've got your son doing it now, I saw on the social media. But what is it with election fairies and grilling? I like grilling. It's, you know, you're in the great outdoors. You get the smell of burnt meat, which I think is just awesome. You know, you get to, you know, you get to play with spices and marinades and you're not like, you know, you're not chained to a stove. I really, I mean, grilling is to me the perfect, you know, it's the perfect art, uh, cooking art form, except for maybe baking. Although grilling is a lot more forgiving when you screw up. I, I grill. I am not a baker. I mess up everything I try to bake. I've got a daughter that can bake really well. I just leave it to her because those are two totally different skill sets. So kind of, kind of like elections and punditry, which is why we bring you on. Uh, Coulter, uh, it's going to be a busy election year. So I hope you join us frequently to straighten this stuff out and turn down the noise for us. Uh, tell folks where they can find you and what you've got going on. All right. Well, if you are in Polk County, Florida, and you happen to be doing early voting, come say hello to me. I'm the, I'm the petite redhead that nobody can hear. <laughs> and if you want me on Twitter, I'm at election babe, or you can read my columns at elections daily or on ordinary times. Yep. And it's an election year, so she may not be writing a whole lot uh, this year, but we sure hope you do. And you're the best. And we greatly appreciate you, my friend. 
Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I was so excited that I was the inaugural guest of this show. And now that seeing you going, having another year, I'm just so happy for you. Yeah. You, the very first podcast we did, we did elections with you and uh, you're on the first uh, of the daily show for 2022. And we hope to have you on a whole, whole bunch. So we appreciate you, my friend. All right. Thanks so much, Andrew. I really had a great time and happy new year. Happy new year to you. We'll talk soon, ma'am. to her tell and a blow to all that is good in the world on this earth. Uh, Betty White passed away on New Year's Eve. She was 99 years old, uh, was getting ready to celebrate a 100th birthday, but uh, she passed away. Uh, icons used too much, but she was an absolute icon. Uh, and more importantly, in the modern age, very few people are universally known and universally loved and respected. And she was both. That's quite the accomplishment. Um, you can go watch. Everybody has their favorite stuff from Golden Girls to her. Uh, the Hot in Cleveland show was excellent. My family's always enjoyed that. I loved her on Boston Legal, um, across from Spader and William Shatner and a bunch of other people. Candace Bergen's on that show. Powerhouse actors, and she just stole every scene she was in. Sharp wit, funny, but that all comes from knowing exactly who she was, supremely confident, uh, and we're going to miss her greatly. My family's always enjoyed her. Uh, the world does seem a little less bright with her around. Uh, I wrote this in Ordinary Times, um, uh, ordinary-times.com, quote, an absolute cultural icon and for all the right reasons. Betty White was universally beloved in an age where very few folks in the public light are. On top of her entertainment gifts, she was well known for her animal advocacy and love of pets, especially her dogs, which she always seemed to have around. One of the foundational pillars of Twitter is the once a week or so abject panic when Betty White starts to trend and folks freak out worrying she passed away. It happened just this morning over the long running joke about her and one time co-star Ryan Reynolds. Little did we know then. Life is short, even when you live 99 years and 348 days. Have fame and fortune and the respect of love of just about everyone. God bless you, Betty White, and thank you. More hotel right after this. back to her tell we always try to end on a happy note this story is amazing and i just love it uh from the washington post uh brian red hamilton i'm quoting assistant equipment manager for the vancouver canucks that's the nhl hockey team up in vancouver canada was walking off the bench during an october game in seattle when a fan pressed her phone to the plexiglass on it read a note the mole on the back of your neck is possibly cancerous please go see the doctor on Saturday night, after the team posted a social media call out from Hamilton to find the young woman, he was able to thank Nadia Popovici, Popovici, perhaps, I apologize for mispronouncing it, hillbilly, 
22 in person for the act that saved his life. Uh, This is from the social media post. It says, quote, the reason for the letter today was that I really wanted her to know her persistence and everything she did to get my attention. And she saved my life. Brian Red Hamilton said. Popovici's note, quote, threw me off. So I just kind of shrugged and kept going, Hamilton said in a news conference. And so I felt bad because I felt like I didn't really give her the time of day. But he still sought out a second opinion from a team doctor who didn't like the look of it either. Removing the mole and having it tested, the results, it turned out it was a malignant melanoma. It had been caught early enough that removing the mole was all that was needed. Within a week of seeing the note, he was cancer-free. The words out of the doctor's mouth were that if I ignored it for another few years, I wouldn't be here, Hamilton said. Popovici was asleep Saturday morning when the team's call-out was shared on Twitter and Facebook, quickly spreading, and it made it way to her mother, but she was already planning to attend the game that night in Seattle anyway. Papavici, a Canadian-American who plans to attend medical school this fall, had spotted the mole from her seat behind the bench and was nervous to bring it up, worrying she might embarrass Hamilton. So she waited until there weren't a lot of people around him before showing him the note she'd written on her phone. I acknowledge that it's so uncomfortable to have something on your body pointed out, so I didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. Papavici told the Seattle Times, adding that she recognized the irregular mole from her time volunteering in hospitals. She wondered whether he'd had it checked out or not, but didn't expect to hear about it again. Instead, she woke up Saturday to a rush of messages. She watched the news conference where Hamilton called her a hero, and she finally reunited with him, sharing a hug and a few words before the Canucks game against the Kraken. That's the new Seattle team. My mom wants you to know she loves you, Hamilton told her, and asked about her medical school plans. Pavavici said she'd been accepted and was planning to start in the summer or fall after deciding. What an amazing way to start my journey to med school, Pavavici told Hamilton. It's pretty priceless. Shortly after the game, during a timeout, she learned the team together was awarding her a $10,000 scholarship. What a great story. Uh, pay attention to those around you. You may never know what you saying to them may or may not mean, but what a great story. Uh, We've had skin cancer in our own family. It's serious. Take it very seriously. Bob Marley eventually died because of a spot on the top of his foot. Don't play around with that stuff. If anything doesn't look right, it probably ain't right. Check with your doctors, take good care of yourself and take care of each other. That'll do it for her to tell today. Uh, We are planning a very strong 2022. Uh, Our young voices contributors. We're finalizing that relationship. Going to have an announcement about that pretty soon. Uh, More Ordinary Times uh, contributors will be on our friends, ordinary-times.com. Very proud of the work we've been doing there the last few years. Opinions and things from across the spectrum, great writing. Please do check those folks out. Uh, Also, we would love to hear from you. Uh, We will respond to you. Might even read it on the show. Uh, show at gmail.com. If you want to write us an email at herdtellshow on the twitter.com, we'd love to hear from you. Also, uh, the intro graphics to each segment has my Twitter at four for the fire. I would love to hear from you as well. Be nice, keep your bearing, but we would love to interact with you and talk to you. This is about you and us. This isn't a me thing. Uh, if you don't listen, I don't have anybody to talk to. Uh, we're all in it together and we would love to engage and interact with you. Mostly we just want to say thank you as we start the year. Uh, We appreciate you watching and listening. Make sure you're subscribing, leave a comment and a rating, whatever platform you're watching this on. Also, if you're a YouTube subscriber and you should be, there's a new playlist on there. We called it Her Tell Good Talks. It's just the interview segments of all the great guests we have on the show. Make sure you check that out. It's a neat way to get through all that information and follow and hear the knowledgeable guests. Part of how we turn down the noise of the news cycle and get you the best information we can. 
Until we talk to you next time, we hope you and yours are well. We hope you're well fed. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Hurt Tell. All the music on Hurt Tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. So Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.